It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. This week, we spoke with Ryan Petty about guns and what kind of legislation he would like to see pass and what kind of legislation he thinks Republicans would go for. His daughter, Elena, was killed in the Parkland shooting in Florida four years ago, and he has since been appointed to the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission and the Florida State Board of Education. We talked to him about how, according to the lead Senate Democrat negotiating with Republicans, Florida's gun-related legislation passed after Parkland may serve as a template for federal gun laws. But we also talked about the politics of it all, as well as the House Oversight Committee's gun violence hearings that happened earlier this week, in which lawmakers heard from a fourth grader who survived the Uvalde school shooting. We often have to cut interviews down for time during the week, but we thought you might like to hear this full interview. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Weekday Rundown podcast if you haven't already. Now, here's Ryan Petty on the Fox News Rundown Extra. So, um, Ryan, why don't you start by giving me your name and your title, whatever title you want us to use for this. Um, okay, so uh, Ryan Petty, R-Y-A-N-P-E-T-T-Y. Um, I am a member of the Florida State Board of Education, and I'm also a commissioner on the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission. Um, my daughter, Elena, was one of the victims in, at the uh, massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Well, thank you for, for your time. Um, Ryan, the House Oversight Committee held a hearing today, and they called for people who have been victimized by the, the latest mass shootings. Um, I guess it, it, this struck, struck me as rare. It struck others as rare. But they heard from an 11-year-old girl who was in the classroom in Uvalde during the shooting. And she told lawmakers about how they responded, how the teacher locked the door, but he came in anyway, how he shot the teacher in the head, and that she covered herself in her classmate's blood and stayed quiet. And when she felt like it was safe enough, she grabbed her teacher's cell phone and called 911. She spoke sort of in like a monotone voice, um, and she's just 11 years old. Hearing that, knowing that members of Congress heard that kind of testimony, what do you make of that? What should they do upon hearing that? Well, my first thought is, uh, you know, my heart goes out to these families and these victims and this young girl that uh, was brought in to testify. Clearly, she still must be traumatized and still processing what happened. It would be difficult enough for an adult to process this. I can't imagine being her age and trying to process what she has had to survive uh, and endure. Um, so my heart goes out to them, first of all. Uh, my second thought is I, I'm not quite sure why we would bring a child in to testify in a hearing like this. I mean, I understand why there's motivation to do it, um, but I really question the decision making of whom, whomever was responsible for bringing a child in to, to, to re-traumatize them at this point seems to me to be um, a despicable political stunt. I'm, I'm just appalled that this happened. 
to be fair and to be clear, they, uh, her father, I guess, did a video with her and they pre-recorded it and, and that was shown to lawmakers. Does that change anything for you? I uh, no. I mean, I, I, I understand again, the desire for, we're getting, you know, eyewitness testimony to what happened. I just question whether or not the best, uh, it's in, it's in this young girl's best interest to be re-traumatized by having to retell her story at this point. Ryan, you've done a lot of work since your daughter was killed, Elena, in Florida on, on gun legislation and, uh, and in regards to schools. What kinds of conversations do you find yourself having these days with conservatives, with liberals, emotional conversations, non-emotional ones, all of it? And are the conversations like shifting? Now, it feels fair, fairly similar to conversations that we had just after Parkland. I, that, look, um, I think across the board, regardless of political persuasion, everybody wants these things to stop. They don't understand why they're happening it's every parent's worst nightmare. Unfortunately, it's a nightmare that's all too real for, for me and for my wife. We just want it to end and we want it to stop. And then the folks come peddling solutions that quite frankly don't address the problem. And so I, I'm approaching this with a, bit, a fair bit of frustration because we mm-hmm. keep hearing the same solutions, particularly from the Democrats and the left, about gun control measures that would absolutely not have prevented this tragedy in Uvalde. It wouldn't have stopped the tragedy from happening in Parkland. But what's frustrating to me is that it prevents us from having a productive conversation about solutions that would actually prevent these tragedies from happening. Well, let, let's let's get into it a little bit um, because, and I want you to talk to me about what you worked on in terms of, of laws in Florida um, that passed. And I ask that not just because of who you are, but because um, Connecticut Senator Murphy, uh, the Democrat who's leading the talks here with Republican Senator John Cornyn, uh, Murphy said Florida is possibly the template for some new gun rules. And, and he's a Democrat. Um, he thinks that maybe whatever you guys did in Florida is palatable enough to um, maybe get 10 Republicans on board. What did pass in Florida? What did you work on? So what we did is, you know, then Governor Scott, now Senator Scott, put together a team of experts that that covered three big domains of the problem. So one being law enforcement, the second being the education space, and then also mental health. And he put these teams together and he gave them 72 hours to come up with a series of comprehensive, practical, pragmatic solutions that could pass through the state legislature and something he could sign. And then he challenged the legislature to take this bill and, and put it on his desk. What we did here in Florida is we looked at all elements of this, not just the gun control piece. And what, unfortunately, what I hear in, in D.C. is, yeah, Florida's the model, but it's the model because they like a couple of the gun control measures that were that were put in that original um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas public safety bill. They like the, you know, raising the age from 18 to 21, and they like what we did with regards to red flag laws, and they want to federalize what we did here in Florida. And, and doing that at the federal level is very different than doing it at the state level. And I think it should be left up to the states to decide, is Florida, is what we did in Florida actually the model, or do they have a different set of circumstances that would cause them to craft their law slightly differently. What I don't think should happen 
is we shouldn't take what we did in Florida and make that federal law. What should be federal law? And what do you think Republicans would go for in terms of making it a federal law? Look, I think as, you know, pragmatic, practical solutions, we could look at something like at the federal level, providing some funding for states that want to uh, enact red flag laws. That was something we did after after uh, Parkland. It's not something that's that's popular with many Republicans, and it's not uh, popular with Second Amendment advocates. And I understand the reasons why and understand the arguments, but it's worth having a conversation and debate about like we did in Florida. Our experience with red flag laws, because of the way they were crafted here in Florida, because they there are as many um, due process protections as we could put in them uh, as part of the law, so there aren't frivolous uh, red flags being, um, you know, a vengeful, uh, you know, ex or or a coworker that doesn't like you. That do- that stuff doesn't happen in Florida. That stuff happens in California, happens in Connecticut with the way they did their laws. But that's one area where we should have at least have a conversation about that. It may not be it may not work in, in a place like Texas. It might not work in a place like Oklahoma, but it worked in Florida and it probably will work in other states. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. The Democrats are sounding like, I mean, they're not sounding like it. They they are. They will point blank t- tell you they are desperate. They will take anything right now at this point. I mean, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and um, and several other Democrats have said, look, we know we're not going to get everything we want. But we're OK with that at this point. Like we will. We just want something that maybe would even save a life. Um, when you hear that kind of language, does that give you hope or does that make you feel like um, what I, I, what does that make you feel like that 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 they would take almost anything. It says to me that this is politically motivated, that they're facing a tough uh, midterm election cycle and they want to be able to go back to their base and say, we did something. Whether that something would actually solve the problem is less important to them than actually just doing anything. And that's, that really bothers me because that's not the Florida model. The Florida model was built on recommendations from experts that that looked at these problems of school attacks and figuring out what would work to to reduce the probability that these things would occur. And if they did occur, how could we minimize the casualties, minimize the deaths, minimize what this poor young girl in Uvalde just had to witness? How do we stop that from happening, first of all, if we can? And if it does happen, how do we make it so it's not another Parkland? That came from experience and expertise and, and working together to find compromise. It didn't come from, let's just do something so we can go back to our base and tell them we did, you know, we did something this time. Well, they would say they want it, that they want something because they're interested in not having any more shootings. You know, call me cynical. <laughs> I, I, you know, there, hmm. there are politicians that I have worked with that, that I think genuinely do care um, and I'm not suggesting that any one particular senator doesn't care, but let me let me just say my my broader experience is that at the at the closest point to these tragedies, there's a lot of empathy and there's a lot of motivation to get something done. And the further you get away from the tragedy, there's there's less empathy and less willingness to get something done. So I, I you know, 
cynical me, I would say, look, they're looking at this as an opportunity to go back to their base and say, look, we took action. We, we didn't get everything we want because because the bad Republicans aren't going to let us get everything we want. But we did something. Whether that something mm. will actually solve the problem is a secondary concern to them. And unfortunately, that's how things work in D.C. I am curious about your thoughts on mental health. We do hear a lot about it. It seems like a very tricky issue um, because sometimes you hear about these young, mostly men, um, who maybe had shown some signs of some mental health crisis, but maybe it's not psychosis. Maybe it's not schizophrenia. Maybe it, you know what I mean? It's not necessarily something diagnosable. It maybe was that slope where you, you know, you're, you're sort of falling off a cliff. Um, and not everybody can catch you in that, in that moment. Um, it's, it's, it's a very fluid situation. In other words, one's mental health, but like the teenager who killed your daughter, um, he had an extensive mental health history. He, he had been medicated. He had been counseled. Um, we, we don't hear that often about the shooters, that, that they kind of slipped through the cracks, right? That they didn't get help. So what sort of action, if any, would you want to see on the mental health front if lawmakers were to get involved in passing something regarding mental health? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a complicated subject, and it's one that we've, as a member of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, Commission, we've looked at extensively. A couple of things jump out at me. Number one, a lot of these attackers uh, are not mentally ill per se. They know what they're doing. They're they're deliberately acting in in a desire to either hurt others or, you know, have the, have law enforcement kill them. So it's a it's a deliberate act. They know what they're doing. They know right from wrong, and there's and there's no mental health excuse. Uh, I also want to say that just because you have mental health issues doesn't necessarily mean you're a threat to yourself or to others. So I want to I want to make of course, sure. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. clear on that. But but what we're what we're seeing is there's a pattern of disturbing behaviors, right, that manifest themselves almost every single time. And the thing that we learned, you know, from the Secret Service and the research they've done on attacks over the past 20 years since Columbine is over 90 percent of these attackers communicate their their intent to mm. to hurt themselves or hurt others. And therein lies the opportunity for prevention, because once you. Once you see, once they communicate the threat, then you understand there's a problem and then you can take action. And the earlier that happens in that in that slope, that pathway to violence, the more opportunities you have for for a positive outcome and a positive intervention. The problem is law enforcement, school districts and mental health professionals don't often communicate and they all cite federal privacy laws is the reason they can't ah. talk to each other and collaborate. So one of the things we did under the Trump administration was clarify those privacy laws and make sure that everybody understands that in the case of an imminent threat, you can communicate with one with another and you can coordinate and we can use the same methodology that the Secret Service uses, which is called behavioral threat assessment and management. This is how they protect the president of the United States. Somebody makes a threat against the president, you're going to get a visit from the Secret Service. And they're going to ask some questions about what's going on in your life. And they're going to help you work through those things. The goal isn't always to arrest the person and put them in jail. That, that's certainly one option. If they're if they are an imminent threat and they have the means and they've they've created a plan and they intended to do it, that's certainly an action. But more often than not, 
somebody's going through uh, a rough spot in their life for whatever reason, they blame they blame an elected official like the president, and so they and so they communicate that threat, and the Secret Service coordinates that effort. What we've done in Florida that's so different than what most states have done. There are exceptions to this. Virginia does a good job of this, and there are some other states that I can point to. Is now law enforcement in Florida, school districts, and mental health professionals coordinate through this behavioral threat assessment and management process. It's not perfect. We're not 100 percent there yet. There's a lot of it's, it, there's a lot of institutional uh, momentum that has to be overcome to get these folks to sit down and talk to each other. But we're doing that now in Florida. And and all three of those groups are being trained, law enforcement's trained, educators and mental health professionals. And so we're we're seeing these warning signs earlier and we're we've got better options for intervention because of it. Finally, Ryan, um, the Department of Justice is doing an after-action review of Uvalde's response. We've heard, I, I'm sure you've heard as well, a lot of disbelief at the response to the Uvalde shooting. Um, considering the criticism the, the cops and the school resource officer faced after Parkland, were you surprised when you heard about how the police responded in Uvalde, that the commander you know, thought it was a barricade situation, that it took so long to go in and, and kill the shooter? I was stunned and I, I, we kept hearing different uh, bits of information and some of it very contradictory. And some of that's just early in, you know, early in any investigation there, there are conflicting stories. But when, when the word started coming out that law enforcement took the, you know, 12 to 14 minutes to get there to engage the attacker. And then once they were fired upon, they sort of fell back and then an incident commander on scene made a bad decision about, you know, considering it a hostage situation instead of an active shooter. Boy, there were a lot of mistakes made. And it was painful to hear that because those, uh, my heart goes out to those families that their loved ones were in that classroom. And, and we don't know yet, were there any, like this young girl that testified today, were there any others that were alive that could have been saved had police acted differently? The protocol is clear. You go to the threat and you eliminate the threat. Whether you're one officer, two officers, three, you go to the threat and you eliminate the threat. And nobody is expecting law enforcement to, to engage in a suicide mission. But if the difference is a child going home to their family or that law enforcement officer, unfortunately, losing their life in a gunfight with, uh, with an evil uh, attacker in a classroom, that law enforcement officer needs to go to that threat and eliminate the threat. Ryan Petty, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I don't know how you do what you do. I mean, do you, I should have asked, asked you this, but do you feel like you have to live this over and over again when you talk about it? Or is this, your, is this sort of cathartic for you to educate reporters and, and talk about, you know, the work you're, you're still doing on this. It, it, this is cathartic for me because, and it's a way I can honor my daughter and who, and the person that she was, I, I learned, you know, parents are supposed to teach their, their kids. I learned more from Elena in the 14 years. We had the privilege of having her in our home than, uh, than I'm certain she learned from me, but she would want me to be her voice. She would want me to, continue to uh, let people under, you know, know and understand what were the things that led up to her murder 
that day at Marjorie Stillman Douglas High School and not accept the first answer that comes down the pipeline, which is, you know, guns are bad. That's not what Elena believed. That's not what I believe. Um, Elena uh, and I, uh, one of her favorite things was to go to the gun range with me. She she was an avid an avid shooter and she's, she's fan, She was fantastic. And so I miss those times with her, but I can, I can honor her memory, uh, by helping others, uh, understand, first of all, it was just investigating the tragedy. What happened? Why did it happen? And then holding those accountable in the state of Florida that failed us. And at the federal level, because there were failures in law enforcement in Florida, uh, with the sheriff's response. And there were failures at the FBI, um, the FBI knew mm-hmm. the Parkland killer was going to shoot up the school and they didn't communicate that to local law enforcement. And so um, I honor her by holding those accountable and, and trying to prevent this from happening again. And unfortunately, you know, I know I can't we can't stop all of these. Right. Evil finds a way to to do its deeds, but we can certainly make it more difficult for these um these attackers to uh, to do what they want to do. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for, for talking to us and educating us. I appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.